Welcome to the Save the Date Wedding Podcast with your host, Alicia McCormack. Alicia will keep you on budget and on track so you can plan your big date without the big price tag. Alicia's a comedian, wife, author of Smart Wedding, who once had a panic attack while being lowered in a crocodile cage on national television. It wasn't one of my finest moments, I'm going to be honest with you. The... Oh, the event happened at a place called, get ready for this, Crocosaurus Cove. It was in Darwin in the Northern Territory of Australia. So right at the very top where there are lots of crocodiles. But bizarrely, this place is right in the middle of the city of Darwin. So you sort of expect it to be out bush, but it was basically off a shopping mall, a shopping strip mall. You, you ride the escalator up into this crocodile world. Really weird. Google it, please. And the whole idea was that I would go in and get ready. This is what it's called, the cage of death. Now, if that name doesn't sort of give you an idea of what this thing's about, then I just give up. So basically what it is, is that there's a crocodile enclosure where there's a big five meter crocodile, um, 16 foot if you're, if you're in the imperial system, a really big mother of a crocodile. And he or she is just sitting there looking prehistoric, ready to eat you. And then you go above this big enclosure and you climb down a ladder into a perspex tube, which is, you know, completely clear. And then like out of some sort of Bond movie, the tube, once you're in the water in the tube, you hear this and the tube starts to move. So it takes you into the middle of this pond where the crocodile is. And then like some torture movie, the tube starts to lower into the water and of course fill up with water. So then you are in this enclosure with this crocodile looking at you with these beady little eyes treading water because you can't touch the bottom of the enclosure. And I knew I was safe, but there was something about being lowered into this crocodile pit that just didn't sit with me. And I know that the crocodile wasn't going to get me. But the other thing is the people that ran the crocodile park said, here's what you're going to do. You need to to bang on the glass. You need to bang on the glass because you want a really good shot for the television. You want the crocodile to come up and attack the glass. No, I didn't. I didn't want that. I just didn't want the thing. I was happy with it being asleep over the other side of the enclosure. Me doing my little piece to camera. Whoa, there's Alicia with the crocodile. I didn't want to bang on the glass. Are you kidding me? So here am I being lowered into this pit of death and, and I just started to feel like my <laughs> my chest was being crushed. And the more I tried to breathe normally, the more it just didn't happen. So in the end, we traveled all the way to Darwin. I freaked out. And because I did not swim with the crocodile fully, they had to sort of make the story about me freaking out. So that's the that's the crocodile story. Yes, I can't express to you how wonderful it is when you subscribe, rate and review. Not only is it lovely reading your reviews and hearing your feedback, but it also really helps me in iTunes because the more people that rate and review, the more people that see the show on iTunes and spread the word. Oh, it's delicious. So thank you in advance for doing that for me. Now to today's show. This is the episode I would say so far in all the episodes that I've made that is the most important And it is the guest list. Every wedding decision you make revolves around this topic. Budget, venue, location and date all revolves around people. 
who you want there to share this wonderful special day of yours. When it comes to the nitty gritty of creating a guest list, it's often a bit of a chicken or the egg situation. Do you do the budget first and then work out how many people you can afford to actually invite to the wedding? Do you find a venue and then work back from there? Perhaps it's a venue that can only fit 50 people. The decision is made for you then. If you really want that venue, then 50 people it is. So before we get into the tactics of how to pick who's coming to your wedding, and it is tactics. I know this sounds like some sort of military operation, and some of you do treat your wedding like a military operation, if I do say so myself. When it comes to wedding planning, I am absolutely for going rogue, going completely off the book when it comes to rules, because it's your day. You can do whatever the bloody hell you want to do. But there is one area that I feel particularly strongly about in life in general, and that is manners. Because to be honest, manners are the foundation of society. Think about it. Without manners, it's really hard to coexist with other human beings. I live in London a city with many people who have no manners. Which is strange because you think of England and you think of hoity-toity people that are like, oh, yes, posh this. Oh, I'm, I'm, excuse me. But apparently that's only on Downton Abbey now. It seems that as well as being relatively grumpy, lots of people have forgotten basic manners. For example, uh, if you are on a public transport here, on the tube or on the bus... Logic and manners say, hey, when the bus or train arrives, let the people off before you push past to get back on. But because there are a lot of a-holes around, they don't do that. And it really makes me angry. So when it comes to weddings, there are a few rules of etiquette that I would really love you to respect. Because as Countess Luann from The Real Housewives of New York says, if you don't have manners, what do you have? Apologies to all your ears right now. Now, if you're sitting there going, Alicia, why are you crapping on and on about manners? Thought you were cool. Yeah, well, you probably were wrong. But here's what I'm talking about. When it comes to sending out save the date cards, which I know are really popular. That's the name of my podcast, by the way, if you haven't already noticed. If you are sending out a save the date package, magnet, card, whatever you're doing, very creative. People are going all out in the save the date world you must remember that that is actually a pre-invitation. It's the first time that your guests see your wedding theme. It's the first time that they go, oh, I'm being invited to this great event. How delightful. And one of the biggest social faux pas and manner issues that I have encountered is people getting really excited, creating the save the date list, sending it out, and then six months later when they actually come to doing the official wedding invitations, for some reason they either want to cut numbers or they decide they have not enough money and then they don't invite some of the people that they've sent the save the date card to the wedding. That is really bad. That is manners... 101, like that is going, I mean, that's going to manners jail. You're going to look like a jerk if you do that. So before you do anything, before you create a save the date card and you get all excited because you do, you, you pick a venue and you really want to send this thing out and tell everyone about it, make sure you have finalized that guest list because you can't undo sending something like that. It's like sending an email to someone that you didn't mean to send or a text. We've all done it and then you regret it, but you can't take it back. So yes, get excited about planning the wedding and creating a save the date list, but always remember the save the date is an invitation. You can't reverse it. And if you do, again, 
you're going to jail. So the guest list, this is what I'm getting at here. The guest list is a pretty big decision that you and your partner have to make. And it would usually happen at the beginning of the wedding planning process. Before we talk about your wedding, I want to do a little bit of a, a bit of an imagination exercise with you. If you're on a bus, close your eyes. People will think you're weird. Uh, now, here it is. I want you to think about all of the weddings that you've attended or been invited to over the years. And just be honest with me. You don't have to tell anyone. Just tell Alicia. How many of those weddings do you feel like you were an obligation guest? I know it's harsh. It's a harsh, harsh question to ask, but perhaps you went to a co-worker's wedding or your second cousin's wedding or someone from uni that you haven't seen for 10 years. And of course they wanted you there, but perhaps you were on the B or C list and they invited you out of obligation. Now I'd like you to think of the last time that you saw that co-worker or you had dinner or drinks with your second cousin, not including Christmas, because again, that is an obligation holiday where we are forced to see family members that we perhaps don't want to see. Not all of us. I love my family. Or when did you last catch up with a uni friend, not including Facebook or Twitter? This has to be a one-on-one conversation. You have to have seen this person's face. And if you live far away, Skype's fine. That, that passes the test. Now remember the wedding day where you were that obligation guest. And by the way, I know there are some of you out there who are saying, I have never been an obligation guest because I am always on the A-list. Well, just wake up to yourself. Wake up to yourself, all right? We've all been obligation guests. I know it and you know it, okay? On said wedding day, how many minutes do you think you spent with the bride and groom? You drank a bit of their champagne, you gave them a bit of a wave maybe across the room, you might have had a quick catch up where the bride sort of squats next to the table and says, hello, what have you been doing the last 10 years? Oh, not much, blah, 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 blah. This is what happens. And I don't want to send you on a little guilt trip here because this is not the purpose of this exercise, but you being a guest, me being a guest at these weddings probably cost the bride or groom or whoever was paying the bill about $150. That's a hundred pounds for all you Brits. So perhaps they were loaded. I mean, good for them. If they're the sort of people that just invite a bunch of people to their wedding just so they can go, yeah, we had 490 people at our wedding. It was amazing. Then good. I'm glad you went and I hope you ate more than they paid for and you drank more than they paid for. However, a lot of people aren't like those people and really struggle when it comes to deciding who the hell should be at their wedding day without breaking up families and friendships and causing international incidents because so many fights and bad vibes and ill feelings come from this one decision. No pressure. So today's show is all about creating the ideal guest list for you, for your budget and for your venue. So in 20 years time, when you look back at the wedding photos, you feel good about it. You don't go, who is that? Who is that? I mean, she's very familiar, but I just can't place a name. I mean, is that someone you worked with? Oh, yeah. It was at that weird software company and you got along really well for a couple of years. When did you last see her? We don't want that. We want to avoid that weird peering at the photo moment in 20 years time. Now, granted, I will say there are many cultures and religions that do encourage inviting everyone that your family has ever met or known. 
And I will be going into this in more depth. I'm interviewing Karen Cinnamon from smashingtheglass.com, a website all about creating super cool Jewish weddings, and also Raj from Secret Wedding Blog, who writes a whole blog about multicultural weddings. And don't you worry, I'll be asking them both all about how to cut down numbers while still following and being respectful to your culture and religion without it having to cost a fortune and also having a whole bunch of people there that you've never seen in your whole life. So after our little obligation guest exercise, I'm hoping that there are a few people on your list that you realize potentially are obligation guests. The one thing about being an obligation guest and knowing that you're an obligation guest is that you probably won't be that offended if you don't get invited. I know there were definitely weddings that I went to that I had a lovely time, but I haven't seen the bride and groom since, except for liking a couple of Facebook posts. Is that friendship? I don't know. So up next, I'm going to give you some just really straightforward solutions to family issues. I know a lot of people have parents that chip in and then feel like they are absolutely obliged to be inviting all of their mum and dad's friends from Bridge, and how all of your guests that make the list should be people from your future, not necessarily just from your past. How many people will you be having at your wedding? Uh, 500, around 500. <laughs> Um, between 40 and 60. About 70, 75 in the day and maybe 40 more in the evening. For us, we're in the process of buying a house as well, our first home together. We kind of felt that the house is something that is lasting and is our forever. And we wanted the wedding to be something that everyone enjoyed and had fun, but not put ourselves in debt and start our married lives together with, with all that debt hanging over us. Sensible and sassy advice from my real-life couples. Uh, Thank you very much. They were all recorded at the National Wedding Show in London. I will be making my way. I've got a couple of wedding shows actually coming up in the UK and the US. Can't wait to hear some American voices in the podcast very soon. And some great American guests coming up. So my lovely US and Canadian listeners, you know, your time is coming very soon. So a question I often get asked, and I did, I do talk about this in my book, Smart Wedding, is, okay, my parents are contributing a large amount of money. Good on you. Thanks very much. And now my mum is acting like a door bitch at a wanky club. I don't need to tell you how weird parents can be. Because even the coolest parents can be weird. And they've got their own rules and their own way of deciding on things that doesn't often make sense to the kids. So if your parents or your in-laws are contributing money to your wedding and they're holding the guest list over your head saying they want all of their friends to come along, this is something I call guest list agenda. And that is your parents inviting people or putting the pressure on you to invite people that you're not directly connected with, that are their friends from work or your great aunt Nancy who you've never met or someone your dad went to uni with and They were invited to their kid's wedding, so you have to now return the favor. The first thing you need to do is to ask them how important these extra guests that are attending are to them. Is it because they're trying to keep up with the Joneses? Do they want to show you off? Because you're fabulous, no doubt. That's great. But when Carol and Barry, your mum's friends from Bridge, end up showing up, who I might add, I bet your mum doesn't even really like Carol. She just is incredibly 
competitive with Carol and wants to say, hey, Carol, look at my kid's beautiful wedding. Come along. It's going to cost you $300 to have Carol and Barry coming along to your wedding. So in this case, I would say, hey, mum, maybe we could send them a really schmushy photo and a special card and invite them perhaps to the ceremony only. I know that's controversial, but it's quite common. And you can show them how well we scrubbed up for the cost of a card and postage rather than 300 bucks, and therefore avoiding having virtual strangers at your wedding reception. There is no way that I could do this episode without playing this clip from Father of the Bride, one of my favorite wedding movies with Steve Martin trying to hack the guest list of his daughter's wedding. $250 a head means for the four of us to attend this wedding in our own home will cost $1,000. Therefore, we are not getting up from this table until we cut this list down to the bare minimum. All right, let's start eliminating. Now, now here's somebody, your cousin Betsy, the poet-waitress picture framer. We can't cut family. They know about the wedding. All right, what about Harry Kirby? We haven't seen him in ages. Uh, I don't know. Didn't Harry Kirby die last year? Yes, good. Oh, uh, sorry. If you've never seen it, or you want to watch it again, it's on Netflix, Father of the Bride. Which brings us very succinctly to family. Like Diane Keaton said in that clip, we can't not invite her, she's family. Well, that is not true in my books. If you have a large family, perhaps with a large extended family, cousins and second cousins, it's perfectly reasonable to leave them off the list. If they live over the other side of the country and have never met your fiancé, if you don't know their children's names, and that goes with friends as well that you haven't seen for years, if, if you can't name their children, then I would say perhaps catch up next time you're both in the same city and not at your wedding. I think Facebook's made wedding planning easier and harder at the same time. It reunites people with friends from school and college and university, it makes you feel connected with people on a level that our parents probably wouldn't have felt with their former friends and classmates because once they went their separate ways, until it came time for their 20-year reunion when everyone had a point to make because they hadn't seen these people in 20 years and they'd fested over all the high school rivalries and all the hot girls inevitably were not hot at the 20-year reunion. Can I just say that? That all the sexy people from high school are not sexy anymore. Thank you, Facebook. Oh, it just makes you feel good. All the people that were like the hot stuff... They're the ones that never really succeeded. I know I'm not the first ones to say that, but definitely from my past, it's uh, pretty satisfying. Vindictive much, Alicia? I hope not. But Facebook can provide us with a bit of a problem when it comes to connecting with people on the interwebs, people from our past, and somehow feeling obliged. Now we've made these connections with them. We've rekindled a friendship on Facebook we feel like, oh, they should come to our wedding because I knew them 15 years ago. The best advice that Rich and I were given when we were planning our wedding and struggling with these very same decisions was from my friend Lawrence. And he said, Alicia, your guests should always be a part of your future, not just a part of your past. And when you break that down, he was completely correct. 
There are lots of people that I can think of that were wonderful parts of my past and are still in my life that we didn't include on the list because they lived overseas or interstate and they hadn't really met Rich or spent time with us as a couple. That perhaps we knew them separately and they were friends with uh, us when we were with our ex-partners. Again, that's something that you've got to deal with. We've all had, or most of us have probably had other relationships. Do you invite people that are connected to that other relationship? Sometimes, often not. I had a girlfriend ask me recently, Alicia, I'm really good friends with my ex. And she was, she is really good friends with her ex and they get along really well. But she was torn as to whether to invite him to the wedding. Now, my initial instincts, and I think they're correct, please contact me if you don't agree with me. My instincts are, no, I don't think this person, as much as they're a part of your life and in your friendship group, really should be at your wedding. Perhaps you're like Bruce Willis and Demi Moore and you all hang out together and you chill and you've got the best relationship, then yeah, do it. But I can't help but thinking your current partner and the ex, I don't know, there's probably some ambiguity there. One of them's got to feel a little off about it. I would say just back off on inviting the ex and use the seat for someone else, probably one of your mum's bridge partners, I reckon. I recently interviewed Charlie Beard, uh, aka London Bride, the gorgeous blogger, who I'm sure you're all very aware of. If you are not, I would head to her website and check it out. It's amazing. London-bride.com. As a wedding expert, she's a wedding planner. You can hire her. What her opinions are on planning a guest list. You know, weddings do bring out the best and, and worst and make you realise who is who is, you know, who's a valued friend and, you know, who who isn't perhaps. And I mean, sometimes it's quite, it's quite sad because weddings are supposed to bring people together, but actually quite often, you know, there are those politics and those issues that arise because because of a wedding day. The guest list is, is definitely the hardest part sometimes. And uh, I mean, thankfully, that's actually not one thing I can help with the, with the with the couples that I work with. It's the one thing they kind of have to do themselves. Unfortunately, I can't choose for them who to they, who they invite or or where people sit. Um, so uh, the table plans on you guys. But um, but no, it, it is hard. And thinking back personally, the best weddings I've been to are the smaller ones where I, I've genuinely felt everyone in that room were there for the couple and not because they were the neighbor or because they felt they had to invite them because they you know were their workmates um it's not easy and that and that is why a lot of people don't have smaller weddings because it's definitely a, a difficult option to have rather than dealing with the politics but uh you know when you're dealing with budgets you know that to me is is more important exactly and if you can deal with the politics and get through all of that then you can do anything absolutely absolutely and take that into the rest of your life and i often think sometimes i'm like you manage to do all of this to, you know a lot of my couples are moving house changing job planning a wedding you know dealing with those issues and then and suddenly after the wedding I'm like now think now like look what you can do now you've got through all of that like you can do anything now so um yeah the, the wedding days are different you know they can be difficult but they're also incredibly incredibly special she's very right about that that was Charlie Beard London bride and wedding planner extraordinaire Speaking from personal experience, Rich and I found a venue that we loved. It was a house called the Boyd Baker House in um, Melbourne in Australia. It was out in the bush and 
Uh, Rich is an architect and he found this house. It's considered to be an architectural icon. It's just a house. It's amazing. We hired it. You can basically stay there, do whatever you want for the whole weekend. So we moved all the furniture, popped our own tables in and bought a caterer out and it was magic. The beautiful thing about that venue and for our budget was it could not fit any more people than about 60 and even that was really squishy. We got married in the middle of winter so it was really nice and cozy but any more people the house would have exploded. It really would have. So in our chicken in the egg conundrum was basically solved by the fact we found this awesome venue which really looked like something out of Mad Men by the way and it was for us and we decided okay well then we will have a smaller wedding. We'll only invite people as we said that are part of our future and family members who of course are part of our future because they have to be. We set a very firm rule and that was no one is to be invited that hasn't met both of us. So if someone, one of our friends hadn't met Rich, well then too bad, too sad, they weren't coming to the wedding. I know that's harsh. It might sound harsh. 60 seats is all we had. It was full on. The other rule we set was if we hadn't met the partner of our friend or relative, then sorry, you're not coming either. Which was really tough because my cousin had a, a girlfriend that he'd been going out with for a while and I think they'd been on and off a little bit. We hadn't met her and I, <laughs> this is, there was, a, you know, some ill feelings because she didn't get an invitation. And it was really hard talking to my auntie and trying to explain that because we weren't getting married in a conventional setting where you could just add another place setting to the table. And it stirred up some mess in the McCormack family. And I really hope that they understood the reason why and there weren't any long-lasting ill feelings because, you know, how sucky would that be over a bloody invitation? Stranger things have happened, I know, in families. We got over it. And of course, my cousin's now engaged to this lovely girl and they have a child. So them's the breaks. Them's the breaks. And we didn't know that was going to happen and we stuck to our rules and we were happy with it. Go with your gut, you're big boys and girls, you know what you feel, but just remember, if you're having a small wedding and you can't stretch the numbers, even if your second cousin or the groom's best friend has met someone that they said, this is the one, she's the one, and you've never met her or him, let them have their third date at a restaurant, not at your wedding. My final piece of advice on the guest list I think is the most important piece of information I can give you, and that is you don't want to have anyone at your wedding that you have to pretend to be happy to see. I'm a great believer in living an authentic life and not having to see people that give you the irks any day. But the wedding day is the one day that I want you to remember you shouldn't have to fake smile once. So if there is someone that you feel is an obligation guest that you really don't like or that makes you feel a bit funny in the tummy in a bad way, then leave them off. For the love of God, leave them off the list. You don't want to have to go, hi, so good to see you. And deep down inside go, I really resent you and I don't want you here, but I have to because you're an obligation guest. Grow some balls, man up, whatever the term is, and get rid of them. I know it's going to cause some, some strife, but I'm saying this is the day where you go, I don't want you there. I don't really like you. We don't really get along. We pretend to be friends, but we're not. Forget about them. It could also be a really good way to clear them from your life because I think you shouldn't really have those people in your life anyway. So before you do anything, before you book anything, sit down together with your partner because you're on a team together. Remember that you are the team 
and go through the pros and cons, who you want there. Fight it out. Get it out in the open. Why don't you want Auntie Crazy Auntie Val there? Well, because she's crazy. But maybe you have to have her there because she's your mum's favorite person in the whole world and she's also your godmother. I don't know. Don't rush it. Go with the flow. Don't disregard your budget. And also remember my piece of golden advice. The guests should be a part of your future and not necessarily just a part of your past. And if anyone's being a jerk about not being invited, send them my way. Let them listen to this episode and they might understand. That's my advice to you. I'm sure there is a lot more we can talk about when it comes to guest lists, but for today, that is where I'm going to leave it. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you can help me out by rating, reviewing, subscribing on iTunes and Stitcher, that is so much appreciated because it's really nice to see that you are listening and that you care. We all want to know that people care, okay? I'm just like everyone else. I may just be a voice in your ears, but I'm a real person too. Okay, I don't know if that's necessarily helping the cause. Until next time I talk to you, happy wedding planning and happy list making.